The Seventh Mansion, Chapter 2 of the Interior Castles by St. Teresa of Avila. This is a Discerning Hearts recording, read by Chris McGregor. The Interior Castle, or The Mansions, by St. Teresa of Avila. Translated by the Benedictines of Stanbrook. We now come to speak of divine and spiritual nuptials, Although this sublime favor cannot be received in all its perfection during our present life, for by forsaking God, this great good would be lost. The first time God bestows this grace, he, by an imaginary vision of his most sacred humanity, reveals himself to the soul, so that it may understand and realize the sovereign gift it is receiving. He may manifest himself in a different way to other people. The person I mentioned, after having received Holy Communion, beheld our Lord full of splendor, beauty, and majesty, as he was after his resurrection. He told her that henceforth she was to care for his affairs as though they were her own, and he would care for hers. He spoke other words, which she understood better than she can repeat them. This may seem nothing new, for our Lord has thus revealed himself to her at other times. Yet this was so different that it left her bewildered and amazed, both on account of the vividness of what she saw and of the words heard at the time, also because it took place in the interior of the soul where, with the exception of the one last mentioned, no other vision had been seen. You must understand that between the visions seen in this and in the former mansions, there is a vast difference. There is the same distinction between spiritual espousals and spiritual marriage as between people who are only betrothed and others who are united forever in holy matrimony. I have told you that though I make this comparison because there is none more suitable Yet this betrothal is no more related to our corporal condition than if the soul were a disembodied spirit. This is even more true of the spiritual marriage, for this secret union takes place in the innermost center of the soul, where God himself must dwell. I believe that no door is required to enter it. I say, no door is required, for all I have hitherto described seems to come through the senses and faculties as must the representation of our Lord's humanity. But what passes in the union of the spiritual nuptials is very different. Here, God appears in the soul's center, not by an imaginary, but an intellectual vision, far more mystic than those seen before just as he appeared to the apostles without having entered through the door when he said, Pax Vobis. So mysterious is the secret, and so sublime the favor that God thus bestows instantaneously on the soul, that it feels a supreme delight, only to be described by saying that our Lord vouchsafes for the moment to reveal it to his own heavenly glory in a far more subtle way than by any vision or spiritual delight. As far as it can be understood, the soul, I mean the spirit of this soul, is made one with God, who is himself a spirit, and who has been pleased to show certain persons how far his love for us extends, in order that we may praise his greatness. 
He has thus deigned to unite himself to his creature. He has bound himself to her as firmly as two human beings are joined in wedlock, and will never separate himself from her. Spiritual betrothal is different, and like the grace of union is often dissolved. For though two things are made one by union, separation is still possible, and each part then remains a thing by itself. This favor generally passes quickly, and afterwards the soul, as far as it is aware, remains without his company. This is not so in the spiritual marriage with our Lord, where the soul always remains in its center with its God. Union may be symbolized by two wax candles, the tips of which touch each other so closely that there is but one light, or Again, the wick and the wax and the light become one, but the one candle can again be separated from the other, and the two candles remain distinct. Or the wick may be withdrawn from the wax. But spiritual marriage is like rain falling from heaven into a river or a stream, becoming one and the same liquid, so that the river and rainwater cannot be divided, or It resembles a streamlet flowing into the ocean, which cannot afterwards be disunited from it. This marriage may also be likened to a room, into which a bright light enters through two windows. Though divided when it enters, the light becomes one and the same. Perhaps when St. Paul said, He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit, he meant this sovereign marriage which presupposes his majesty's having been joined to the soul by union. The same apostle says, To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This, I think, might here be uttered by the soul, for now the little butterfly of which I spoke dies, with supreme joy, for Christ is her life. This becomes more manifest by its effects as time goes on, for the soul learns that it is God who gives it life by secret intuitions too strong to be misunderstood and keenly felt, although impossible to describe. These produce such overmastering feelings that the person experiencing them cannot refrain from amorous exclamations such as, O life of my life! and power which doth uphold me, with other aspirations of the same kind. For from the bosom of the divinity, where God seems ever to hold the soul fast clasped, issue streams of milk, which solace the servants of the castle. I think he wishes them to share, in some ways, the riches the soul enjoys, Therefore, from the flowing river in which the little streamlet is swallowed up, some drops of water flow every now and then to sustain the bodily powers, the servants of the bride and bridegroom. A person who was unexpectedly plunged into water could not fail to be aware of it. Here the case is the same, but even more evident. A quantity of water could not fall on us unless it came from some source. So the soul feels certain that there must be someone within it who lances forth these darts and vivifies in its own life. 
and that there is a sun once this brilliant light streams forth from the interior of the spirit to its faculties, from the interior of the spirit to its faculties. The soul itself, as I said, never moves from the center, nor loses the peace he can give who gave it to the apostles when they were assembled together. I think this salutation of our Lord contains far deeper meaning than the words convey, as also his bidding the glorious Magdalene to go in peace. Our Lord's words act within us. And in these cases, they must have wrought their effect in the souls already disposed to banish from within themselves all that is corporal and to retain only what is spiritual in order to be joined in this celestial union with the uncreated spirit. Without doubt, if we empty ourselves of all that belongs to the creature, depriving ourselves of it for the love of God, that same Lord will fill us with himself. Our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for his apostles, I cannot remember the reference, asked that they might be made one with the Father and with himself, as Jesus Christ our Lord is in the Father and the Father in him. I do not know how love could be greater than this. Let none draw back from entering here, for his majesty also said, Not only for them do I pray, but for them also who through their word shall believe in me. And he declared, I am in them. God help me, how true these words are, and how clearly are they understood by the soul which in this state of prayer finds them fulfilled in itself. So should we all be, but for our own fault. For the words of Jesus Christ, our King and our Lord, cannot fail. It is we who fail, by not disposing ourselves fitly, nor removing all that can obstruct this light, so that we do not behold ourselves in this mirror wherein our image is engraved. To return to what I was saying, God places the soul in his own mansion, which is in the very center of the soul itself. They say the empyreal heavens in which our Lord dwells do not revolve with the rest. Do not revolve with the rest. So the accustomed movements of the faculties and imagination do not appear to take place in any way that can injure the soul or disturb its peace. Do I seem to imply that after God has brought the soul thus far, it is certain to be saved and cannot fall into sin again? I do not mean this. Whenever I say the soul seems in security, I must be understood to imply, for as long as his majesty thus holds it in his care, and it does not offend him. At any rate, I know for certain that though such a person realizes the high state she is in, and has remained in it for several years, she does not consider herself safe, but is more careful than ever to avoid committing the least offense against God. As I shall explain later on, she is most anxious to serve him and feels a constant pain and confusion at seeing how little she can do for him compared with all she ought. This is no light cross, 
but a severe mortification, for the harder the penances she can perform, the better she is pleased. Her greatest penance is to be deprived by God of health and strength to perform any. I told you elsewhere what keen pain this caused her, but now it grieves her far more. This must be because she is like a tree grafted on a stalk, growing near a stream, which makes it greener and more fruitful. Why marvel at the longings of this soul, whose spirit has truly become one with the celestial water I described? To return to what I wrote about, it is not intended that the powers, senses, and passions should continually enjoy this peace. The soul does so, indeed, but in the other mansions there are still times of struggling, suffering, and fatigue, though as a general rule, peace is not lost by them. This center of the soul, or spirit, is so hard to describe, or even to believe in, that I think, sisters, my inability to explain my meaning saves your being tempted to disbelieve me. It is difficult to understand how there can be crosses and sufferings and yet peace in the soul. Let me give you one or two comparisons. God grant they may be of use. If not, I know that what I say is true. A king resides in his palace. Many wars and disasters take place in his kingdom, but he remains on his throne. In the same way, Though tumults and wild beasts rage with great uproar in other mansions, yet nothing of this enters the seventh mansion, nor drives the soul from it. Although the mind regrets these troubles, they do not disturb it, nor rob it of its peace. For the passions are too subdued to dare to enter here, where they would only suffer still further defeat. Though the whole body is in pain, Yet the head, if it be sound, does not suffer with it. I smile at these comparisons. They do not please me, but I can find no others. Think what you will about it. I have told you the truth.